Thank you for joining me for today's Beast Watch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, BeastWatchNews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers Brown. Awakening surrounding the Israeli Palestinian issue is happening in the Middle East because of Trump's Israeli-Palestinian peace solution. Even the Iranian population is getting involved through protests against their government. These and other conditions may start the process that fulfills Ezekiel's dry bones prophecy. Let's start with Ezekiel 37:16. As for you, son of man, Take one branch and write on it for Judah and for the Israelites associated with him. Then take another branch and write on it for Joseph, the branch of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. Join them as one stick. They will be as one in your hand. When your people say to you, Will you not tell us what these things mean? tell them this is what the sovereign Lord says look I am about to take the branch of Joseph which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him and I will place them on the stick of Judah and make them into one stick they will be one in my hand The connotation is that when we see Yahweh's people begin to recognize each other as brethren, Yahweh will take all of the house of Israel and put them with Judah to create one sovereign nation. Together, we will become the kingdom of Israel. But first, there must be not only recognition between both houses, but also acknowledgement, a willingness to work together and to walk in mutual respect. This process is part of the ongoing peace process between the Jews and Palestinians, which is back in the news this week. The trouble between the Jews and Palestinians is simply a continuation of the 2,900-year-old civil war between the houses of Judah and Israel. These are also two ongoing battle arenas playing out a physical and spiritual realms. The first battle arena is in the physical realm with the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. To understand what I mean by this, let's look at some DNA studies of Israel's population. A 2007 DNA population testing of 956,000 people breaks down as follows. Descendants of Israel, 580,000 or 61% of Israel's population. Related to Israel, 259,000 or 27% of which are 158,000 Edomites and 101,000 Moabites. Arabs are 43,000 or 4.5%. The Roman army is slightly larger for population at 44,000. Christians from afar... 24,000 and Kurds 6,000. They apparently came in with Saladin's army. 
The descendants of Israel are the population that scholars refer to as Jews. Among the Jews to this day are the descendants of Esau that I have written about at the messianicmessage.com in the three-part teaching The Esau Effect. Those Edomites were forcibly circumcised and converted to Judaism by the Jews in 125 BC. Our interest for this broadcast is only in Hebrews, the population that the scholars call Jews. Moabites may arguably be Hebrews since they are Lot's descendants who crossed over or converted from being Babylonian Gentiles to Hebrews with Abraham. However, they are not descendants of Abraham, as are the Edomites and Israelites. The Edomite population among the Jews is only 16%. Adding those that are called Jews with the Edomites gives us a total Hebrew population of 77% in the land today. The purpose of today's broadcast is to show that the Palestinians and Jews are the same Hebrew stock through Jacob, although their populations also likely contain Edomites who are not through Jacob because Esau was Jacob's twin. Esau the Edomite is not a descendant of Jacob. We can determine a likely ancestry for the Palestinians by studying the house of Israel at the time of its exile into Assyrian captivity. The house of Israel existed as an independent kingdom until around 722 to 720 BC. The exiled population became known as the Ten Lost Tribes. The tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, Reuben, Gad, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Issachar, Zebulun, along with some members of the tribe of Levi, made up the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. Some families that moved south left the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. Second Chronicles 15.9 says, And he, Judah's king Asa, gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and the strangers with them, out of Ephraim and Manasseh, and out of Simeon. For they fell to him out of Israel in abundance, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. The southern kingdom was comprised of Judah, Benjamin, Levi, Simeon, that was completely absorbed because Simeon's territory was inside Judah's portion and those families out of Ephraim and Manasseh that moved south in the time of King Asa. Authors Israel Finkelstein and Neil Asher Silberman in their book The Bible Unearthed estimate that only a fifth of the population, about 40,000, were actually resettled out of the area during the first two deportation periods. Many also fled south to Jerusalem, which appears to have expanded in size fivefold during this period, requiring a new wall to be built and a new source of water, the Siloam Pool, to be provided by King Hezekiah. 
Phase 3 probably saw another 27,000 to 28,000 captives taken to Assyria, but that left a rather large house of Israel population still in the north at the time of Hezekiah, as we will see in a minute. It is a myth that all of the house of Israel was carted off. The Jews of today recognize that some families from Ephraim and Manasseh are present among them, but I have learned from the Jews that those families are not recognized as tribes within Judaism because they did not bring enough numbers to be counted as separate tribes among the Jews like Benjamin, Levi, and Simeon. The first phase of the Assyrian captivity began with the Assyrian king Tilgath Pilneser, 1 Chronicles 5:26. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tilgath Pilneser, king of Assyria. And he carried them away, even the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Halah and Habor and Harah and to the river Gozan to this day. The next phase came under kings Sennacherib and Sargon. The popular myth is that the northern territory was completely bereft of people after the Assyrian captivity. This just isn't so. The house of Israel's people existed in three places. Some were with the southern kingdom the house of Judah. Some were still in the north and the rest went into Assyrian captivity. These are the scattered ones from the prophecies of Moses in Deuteronomy. Second Chronicles 30 verses 1 to 11 explicitly mentions northern Israelites who had been spared by the Assyrians, particularly the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, Asher, Issachar, and Zebulun. These tribes were still in Israel during King Hezekiah's reign, which was from 716 to 697 BC. The last phase of the Assyrian captivity occurred during Hezekiah's reign. First Chronicles 30 contains Hezekiah's invitation to the house of Israel to return to Jerusalem for the feasts with the promise that doing so would cause Yahweh to soften the hearts of the Assyrian captors toward their children to let them return back to Israel. Second Chronicles 30 verse 1 Hezekiah sent messages throughout Israel and Judah. He even wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, summoning them to come to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem to observe a Passover celebration for the Lord God of Israel. In verse 9 he said, For if you return to the Lord which means return to Jerusalem for the feasts, which is still a message for the house of Israel today, your brothers and sons will be shown mercy by their captors and return to this land. The Lord your God is merciful and compassionate. He will not reject you if you return to Him. This is why... I call for the house of Israel to come to Jerusalem for the feasts and stop going just anywhere they please. 
but Hezekiah was mocked by some in the north and obeyed by others. Second Chronicles 30 verses 10 and 11 says Hezekiah's messengers journeyed from city to city through the land of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun but people mocked and ridiculed them but some men from Asher Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem this broadcast is not about going to the feasts in Jerusalem the point is that these people were left from the final phase of the Assyrian captivity to make the point even more clear no historical or biblical record exists of the Assyrians taking into exile people from Dan Asher Issachar Zebulun or western Manasseh there was only partial deportation of people from Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Naphtali. After that Passover, in Second Chronicles 30, the house of Israel still existed in the north, although its place in the covenant of Abraham had been rescinded by Yahweh through the divorce. Isaiah 50 verse 1 says thus says the Lord where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you behold for your iniquities have you sold yourselves and for your transgressions is your mother put away there is confusion about whether or not the house of Israel was actually divorced those who deny Yeshua as the messenger bringing the good news of return to the house of Israel say the house of Israel was never divorced and thus are still in the Abrahamic covenant and do not need Messiah ben Yosef the suffering servant to bring them back Isaiah makes it sound like there is no divorce then makes it sound like there is is there or is there not a bill of divorce let's read what Jeremiah said Jeremiah 3 8 and I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not but went and played the harlot also Jeremiah clearly says that there is a permanent bill of divorce that was given to the house of Israel Isaiah was referring to the house of Judah because he prophesied primarily to and about Judah while Jeremiah referred to the already banished kingdom of Israel Israel was divorced and sent away while Judah was to be exiled sent away but would return against this historic and biblical backdrop we come today where we find a people called Palestinians who we now discover through DNA tests are Hebrews I say they are Hebrews not Jews because 
Scholars know nothing of the Bible in most cases, so to them, DNA that is like those of the Jews suggests to them that the Palestinians are Jews. The fact is that all of them, Jews and Palestinians alike, are Hebrews from the same stock, Isaac and Jacob. The Palestinians and Jews have both lived continuously in Israel since that time 2,900 years ago. They have fought each other internally and have fought the same wars externally. The Jews remained mostly in Judea and around Jerusalem. The other Hebrews, today's Palestinians, remained in the north and west bank, which was their portion in the land from the beginning. Before I move forward, please understand that in no way do I believe the Palestinians are what some Hebrew Roots teachers declare to be the true Jews. This is not so, and it comes from speaking without having done the proper research to know exactly who the Palestinians are. As Hebrews, they are part of the original Davidic kingdom, but they are not Jews. Or, I should say, most of them are not Jews, since it is also possible that there has been intermarriage between the house of Judah and the house of Israel's populations in the land, just as there has been outside the land for the last 2,900 years. Let's take a look at one particular population in Israel, the Samaritans. I will quote from a Haaretz article, and the link is in the text of this week's broadcast at beastwatchnews.com. There is a group of people that have been relegated to being Palestinians, but who believe they are Jews. The Samaritans, Shomeranim in Hebrew, consider themselves the descendants of the Israelites from the ancient kingdom of Israel in biblical times. They believe their ancestors escaped exile under the Assyrians in the 8th century BCE and that they alone kept alive the traditions of the Jewish people. They claim the kingdom of Judah which went on to become what we know today as the Jewish people while exiled in Babylon moved away from those original traditions according to the British former diplomat and historian Gerard Russell in his book Heirs to Forgotten Kingdoms the Samaritans saw themselves as keeping to the letter the ancient traditions that their southern neighbors the Jews had abandoned and had a history of persistent conflict with them. To name but one such incident of this long-enduring family feud, in the year 9 CE, the Samaritans are said to have vandalized the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, littering it with human bones. Let's stop here for a minute. The Samaritans, some of whom I have met, having even met their high priest, believe they are Israelites now keeping the correct traditions of the Jews. But consider this. Is it possible 
They are from the northern tribes and are part of the priestly remnant of Jeroboam. Now back to the article. Abdullah Abud Cohen, the 23-year-old grandson of the community's current high priest, Abed El Ben Asher Ben Matzliak, says, To call us the real Jews is misleading, as we are all the descendants from the same people, he says diplomatically, as the community's de facto spokesperson. Indeed, all of his pronouncements on Samaritan history are given with a hint of caution, no doubt aware of religious sensitivities in this most incendiary of lands. During Byzantine rule, some 1,500 years ago, the community dwindled and suffered from endless persecution, eventually benefiting from the conquest by Arab Muslims in 637. Over time, the community suffered from plague, persistent poverty, and socioeconomic pressure, with many moving across the Middle East to Damascus, Cairo, or northern Iraq. By the 20th century, most of the Samaritan diaspora had slowly disappeared, many having converted to Islam. The Samaritan synagogue in Cairo was even handed over to the Jewish community in 1706. In the 1840s, faced with the threat of a pogrom in Nablus that would wipe out what was left of the community in the Holy Land, the Shephardi chief rabbi of Jerusalem, Chaim Abraham Gagin, stepped in to save the Samaritans. He declared them a branch of the house of Israel and they were spared at the cost of paying a hefty fine to the city's Muslim authorities. But by the time of the British Mandate era, the community was close to extinction. They numbered only 141 in 1919. In his 1989 book, History of the Samaritans, historian Nathan Schur wrote that the Sumerians are probably the smallest group of people over many centuries to have retained a nationality consistently their own. Their existence can be likened to a tiny boat tossed about by huge waves in a hostile ocean. He noted, Much like their forefathers, young Samaritans are trying to navigate it while getting on with their lives. Let's stop again. Doesn't this history sound a lot like Jewish history, except with the possibility that these are from Jeroboam's northern priesthood? Why would we expect their story of their struggle to survive to be similar to the Jews? Because both are Hebrew stock. What happens to one happens to the other. Now back to the article. The Samaritans in Kuryatluza seem to have a ticket to the whole Holy Land with most possessing Israeli, Palestinian, and Jordanian passports. Yet these three separate citizenships hint at the identity crisis affecting the community. Some Palestinians call the Samaritans Israelis and Zionists, explains Cohen, who describes himself as a Palestinian Israelite. Likewise, he notes, some Israelis view them as Arabs. Most modern scholars tend to view the Samaritans as a Judaic sect. 
The Samaritans are clamoring to join Israel, but not as Jews, simply as citizens of Israel. Several Samaritans explained that most young members of the community, even those living in the West Bank, want to join the Israeli army nowadays, recognizing it as being key to becoming part of Israeli society. These Hebrews want to be citizens of Israel. Are you seeing the picture now? The Jews are Hebrews. They were given the opportunity to be the kingly tribe in the end of days to a people that they didn't even realize are their own brethren. Back to the article. The Samaritans are a people caught between the Palestinians and Israelis. A Palestinian Arab whose cousin sold land to the Samaritans on Mount Gerizim and whose family sits on the border separating Kiryat Luza from Nablus says it's the fact that the Samaritans are not in the army that makes them occupied just like us and asked what he thinks about the Samaritans who live in Halon and serve in the Israeli military he answers we don't see them and we don't care about them there are other problems facing young Samaritans as well we want to go to university in Israel but our Hebrew isn't good enough when we are 18 having gone to school in Arabic it just seems that preserving our millennia old traditions always takes precedence over our lives today both populations Jews and Palestinians were subject to what I call in-house captivity during the hundreds of years when the Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and Romans, then later the Muslims, were the conquering and occupying forces. Even today, the Israeli population are still captives of the United Nations. Israel today is not sovereign, but controlled by other nations like the U.S., certain European countries, and even Saudi Arabia. Thus, both populations have faced and are facing today the same enemies. Plus, they are brothers. They must wake up. Today's Israeli-PA conflict, as I keep reiterating, is the continuation of that original civil war that began 2,900 years ago. Today, it is a test by Yahweh to see if His people can show love for each other and reunite as 12 tribes under one kingly tribe, Judah. The major component for control on both sides is the land and Jerusalem. They both want it all. The Palestinian and Hamas governments are intransigent, unwilling to compromise. They murder their own brothers and rejoice over it. Yahweh will punish the murderers for that. My most recent conclusion is that the Palestinians need to get new leadership that wants peace with Israel. I've been watching videos of Palestinian Christians who are now developing a real love for the Jews. These are the kind of people who can make 
the change. As for the Jews, they must stop settlement expansion, at least while the attempt toward peace is being made. I am not alone in this thought, as you will hear in a couple of minutes. One of the big issues between the Palestinians and Jews is the Jewish settlements on land that once belonged to the Hebrew Palestinians. The settlements were necessary for the establishment of the Jews as the leaders in Israel. No one can argue with the point that unless the Jews had built on ancient house of Israel land, they would not have been able to prevent that land from being taken from them. But now the time has come to stop. The Jews continuing to settle in what is indigenous house of Israel, i.e. Palestinian territory, only perpetuates the animosity between the two houses. This is a logical conclusion, not an anti-Semitic one. Yahweh gave territory to each of the twelve tribes. Even Judah was given a specific place in the land. Every fifty years comes the Jubilee when all land sales are rescinded and the land reverts to its original owner. Are we not in the time frame of the Jubilee? No one knows for sure which year was the Jubilee, but the principle can be applied. Stay tuned, I'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Kimberly Rogers Brown thanking you for listening to the Jerusalem Report produced by BeastWatchNews.com and asking you to send your support. A donation of any size to BeastWatchNews.com. It costs money to run ministries, to teach the word, interpret the prophecies, and to keep websites online. Trust me, we sure do appreciate it. And remember, you can read the transcript of today's broadcast under the Jerusalem Report at BeastWatchNews.com Join Pete Rambo and Kimberly Rogers Brown in Jerusalem for the Feast of Sukkot. 16 nights for only $825. Offer includes breakfast and dinner. Does not include airfare, other transportation, or lunch. Present yourself before the eyes and heart of the King in Jerusalem. Go to aniyosef.com for details. A-N-I-Y-O-S-E-F.com. See you this year in Jerusalem and stay tuned for details on the upcoming Jerusalem tour. Such a deal. Since many people are now concluding that the one state solution is needed, the king, Judah, must return the house of Israel's land to the Palestinians and all the other Hebrews who want to join citizenship in Israel. However, the Palestinians both in the West Bank and Gaza must stop paying terrorist families whose members murdered Jews and they must stop sponsoring terrorism against the Jews. This sea change can only happen if the general Palestinian population rises up their governments to install leaders to represent their interests in making peace. I'm not talking anymore about 
land for peace deals. That doesn't work, since both sides claim that all Israel belongs to it. I'm talking about Yahweh's way of dividing up the land of Israel. The peace deal must be one of integration of the three cultures that reside in Israel, Jewish, Christian, and Islamic. All three religious groups are mostly Hebrews. In fact, religions are the problem. Returning to the kingdom mindset is the solution. I did not say this would be easy, and in fact, is probably why it will take the great tribulation to press on Yahweh's people, who are captive in all three religions, to bring us together in man's hand, as Ezekiel prophesies. However, there is a move in this direction. This Haaretz article asks a very important question. Are the genetic ties between Jews, Palestinians, Bedouin, Samaritans, and Druze important in a contemporary context? One person answered saying, It doesn't matter to me personally since I think that global human identity supersedes all other considerations. Shared ancestry doesn't necessarily imply a special bond. Citing the biblical tale of Cain and Abel, the fact that people are related to one another doesn't prevent their developing extreme hostility to one another, he said. It is time to change this paradigm and begin with the premise that blood ties do make a difference in Yahweh's kingdom. In fact, this is the moral of the Cain and Abel account, isn't it? Spiritual ties caused even by Gentiles who convert to being Hebrews should also create a strong loyalty among the brethren. Svi Misenai, who is a software pioneer, has devoted his life to assembling the facts on the issue the DNA of Israel's population brings. He says Judaism is not a missionary religion. Well, that's debatable, but for another article. On the other hand, redeeming the lost sheep, as in the case of Falash Mura of Ethiopia, is a time-honored tradition as long as the initiative comes from those affected and is voluntary. This goes to the question of the future of Judea and Samaria, says this article. Annexation has not won majority support because of demographic fears that we could be swamped and the state would lose its Jewish character. The fact is that the Jewish character is really undefined. Jewish culture and even Judaism is too broad to fit an easy definition because homosexuals sinning against Yahweh in his land along with righteous and obedient Jews make up this wide range of characteristics. Judaism is not the religion of Yahweh's kingdom. Christianity is not and neither 
is Islam. Israel needs a new direction now. Some are calling for annexation under which citizenship will be open to anyone affirming allegiance to the state of Israel. In previous annexations in Jerusalem and the Golan Heights, only a minority has taken up the offer, but these people see themselves as having options. In Judea and Samaria, the only option will be to pay the taxes and enjoy the social benefits or just pay the taxes. This brings me to the second battle arena, which is the ongoing conversions between the three religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. This is the spiritual counterpart of the 2900 year old civil war. I wasn't aware but have recently come to realize that the Jews are quite active in converting Hebrew roots people who come to Jerusalem for the feasts. Before we look at conversions let's get a real biblical definition of what conversion means. The scriptures have two groups of people Hebrews and Gentiles. Within the Hebrew category is a subcategory of ger or stranger. These are converts. They are the Gentiles converting to become Hebrews, which means they are developing their relationship with Yahweh, like Abraham did even before he was circumcised. Conversion can happen the other way too. We generally call this backsliding. The house of Israel was converted by Yahweh from being Hebrews to being Gentiles. Today the house of Israel is so scattered among the earth's Gentiles that they appear to be Gentiles. Christians, while not traditionally being Torah keepers, are Hebrews from the house of Israel along with some from the house of Judah that are captive inside the Edomite created Christian church and are believers in the God of Abraham. Thus they are like Abraham who was a Hebrew before being circumcised. It's just that the Edomites twisted God's word and taught these people to reject God's laws over Esau's agenda. Hebrew roots people are those coming out of the church because the Ruach has awakened them to the deeper walk to be had with Yahweh by keeping the commandments. Gentiles and uneducated Hebrews must learn the Mosaic law. So it takes time to go through the process, but this educating process is not conversion. It is simply learning from the Jews what we need to know without them converting us. Making us change religions is simply switching theologies because both Jews and Christians are descendants of Abraham and we all deserve to know how to walk in the commandments. All of the theologies, whether Judaism, Christianity, or Islam, contain only partial truths. Each one is a representation of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
I take a reductionist view to that of the simple kingdom instructions without the theological religious interpretations of scripture over such doctrines as the Messiah for example the fact is that the house of Israel needed Yeshua's message of return because they were cut off from Abraham the house of Judah was not cut off but Yeshua's message for them is that the house of Israel is returning so prepare to be the king of all 12 tribes not just one the main reason I know Yeshua is the Messiah is because he came preaching the kingdom predicated on 12 tribes whereas all of the other Jewish messiahs attempted to restore the kingdom based only on the tribe of Judah who only grudgingly it seems acknowledges Benjamin, Levi and Simeon and those few from the northern tribes that are with them in other words Judaism and the Jews have some exclusionary practices that are hurting Yahweh's kingdom more on this in a minute Jews claim they have no conversion agenda while handing Hebrew roots and Christian believers destructive and hateful anti-missionary material that attempts to destroy the veracity of the New Testament and cause our people to deny Yeshua it is heartbreaking just as heartbreaking as when Christians try to convert Jews and say they will go to hell if they don't convert unfortunately the feasts have now become a new harvest field for Jewish conversion but don't let that stop you from obeying Yahweh and coming to Jerusalem just exercise wisdom now I want to talk about Judaism's and the Jews exclusionary attitude this plays directly into the peace talks with the Palestinians and has a direct effect on Hebrew roots and Christian believers Judaism and Jewish culture is exclusive instead of inclusive Yahweh Elohim is inclusive and his kingdom is inclusive he does not require anyone to convert to a religion either Judaism or Christianity all that is required of us is to repent love God fear God and keep his commandments and those 613 commandments most of which don't apply to you are not hard they are not far away in heaven or in the sea they are right here with us all the time that is the plan of salvation however Jewish cultural language uses anachronism to exclude the rest of us anachronism attributes a definition of something to an era to which it does not belong I truly believe that Jews must learn a new and inclusive language conversely Christians must learn to speak differently too one example of Jewish cultural exclusionism through anachronism is when they say Abraham was the first Jew I have asked a number of Jews about this misuse since the term Jew is a diminutive of the name Judah 
who is a grandson of Abraham? The answer always is that it is simply an expression of speech. Yes, I understand that, but as the kingly tribe, this expression of speech excludes the other tribes over which Yahweh says the tribe of Judah's coming king is to rule. The Palestinians, and I believe billions of people not living in the land at this time, are descendants of those northern tribes, along with the Jews that are still scattered in the earth. So, by being exclusionary, the Jews are cutting off their kingdom to spite their face. Another example regards who was delivered during the Exodus. According to Jewish speech patterns, it was the Jews. It was the Jews who received the Torah at Mount Sinai. The Hebrew Bible is called the Jewish Bible. The modern state of Israel is called the Jewish state. Even though the name Israel was given to Joseph and used by the northern house of Israel later. According to Judaism, the Jewish Messiah will come as a man to restore the Jewish nation with Judaism as its religious basis. Judaism teaches that Gentiles will have a place in the world to come, but this place is left undefined as to its nature, and all Gentiles will be required to convert to Judaism during the world to come before conversions are cut off and their chance is lost. These are just a few examples of the anachronistic and separatist language of Judaism and popular Jewish culture. It is understandable how this developed given the history of the Jews and their struggle to keep Yahweh's testimony alive on the earth for the last 2,000 years. No believer in Yahweh whose mind and heart are truly right with Yahweh would disparage any Jew for this cultural development or would not love the Jews for their sacrifices. All I am asking is that at this point in history everyone should take a critical look at the language, behaviors, and beliefs that are keeping Yahweh's people separated instead of united. The peace process may be about to take another wrong turn as the Trump administration has decided to move ahead without the Palestinian Authority. I believe God's people are now in the most unique position ever on this earth that we've been in that where we can have that paradigm shift to make us all one in man's hand. Trump's peace push may turn out to be the catalyst for this, not for Trump's triumph in making a deal, but for victory over our Hebrew mistakes of the past. Here's what is happening this week. Arab nations this week informed Trump's Middle East envoys that they would back a U.S. peace plan for Israel and the Palestinians, regardless of whether Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas agrees to discuss it. Senior officials in Egypt, Jordan, Saudi 
Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates met with White House advisor Jared Kushner and U.S. Special Representative for International Negotiations, Jason Greenblatt, in recent days and reportedly conveyed this message. Look, we must watch this carefully because of the fact that these are the nations, except for the United Arab Emirates, that Daniel 11 says will be attacked by the Iranian king of the north. Officials in all four nations made it clear they would not be party to any deal that compromises Palestinian interests and that the Palestinians deserve an independent Palestinian state with East Jerusalem as its capital. Now you have a perspective of current events from an ancient basis and you have received the understanding that the Palestinians are our brethren. The Jews, Messianic Jews, Hebrew roots, Palestinians, ancient Samaritans and even some within Islam are our Hebrew Abrahamic brethren. It is high time a righteous kingdom-oriented solution is found. Remember how Rabbi Kaim Gagin stepped in to save the people, the Samaritans, that he knew were his brethren? Today's Jews must do the same in the physical and spiritual realms for the Samaritans. Palestinians, Messianic Jews, Hebrew roots, and Christian believers. David Ben-Gurion said in 1937, We do not wish and do not need to expel Arabs and take their place. All our aspiration is built on the assumption and proven throughout all our activity in the land of Israel that there is enough room in the country for ourselves and the Arabs. Well, He was speaking before anyone knew those Arabs are actually Hebrews. And we know there is also room for all of the tribes in Israel. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.